Hello, and welcome to the CGF Sustainability Podcast Series. My name is Madeline Vanderhayden, and I work on the communications team at the CGF. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things related to sustainability, from forced labor to plastic waste and the circular economy, to food waste and forests, and so much more. As you may know, in 2021, the CGF's Human Rights Coalition, working to end forest labor, started working with the Fair Labor Association and the UN International Organization for Migration to help support coalition members advance on their mission to ensure fair and good working conditions for workers worldwide. Today, I'm here with Richa Mittal, Senior Director, Agriculture and Supply Chain Innovation at the Fair Labor Association, who is helping members implement critical human rights due diligence systems in their own operations that will help identify, remedy, and prevent forced labor risks. Richa is an HRDD expert, and I'm so excited to speak with her today. Let's get to it. So, Richa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right. So why don't we get started with just kind of a a ground zero basic question. What is forced labor-focused human rights due diligence? It's a very good question. And um, I think a lot of us talk about human rights due diligence as if it's a new concept, but it's really... What human rights due diligence mean, it's a simple um, process where we use uh, tools in order to understand, address, and prevent forced labor risk in own operations. Um, And it's really about instilling those management systems within the company operations, whereby we understand what our operations are, what our supply chains look like, and what kind of forced labor risk are in that supply chain. And again, how do we understand, address, and prevent those forced labor risks? So that's pretty much what um, HRDD focusing on forced labor means. Right. Thank you for that introduction. And so you mentioned own operations. Now, the the CGF Human Rights Coalition working to end forced labor is focusing on employing these forced labor focused HRDD systems in own operations. Why is the coalition focusing on, on own operations? And it might be helpful if we can explain to listeners just kind of what own operations may mean and what it may cover. Um, but why are we taking a specific focus in that area? Yeah, I mean, in the 20 years that I've worked in this space, um, if you think about it, a lot of the focus that the companies have had is on supply chains and they took a risk-based approach. So companies started to work in their tier one supply chains where the manufacturing, um, they went upstream all the way back to the farms or production locations at the points of origin, because that's where they see a lot, saw a lot of risk. So when we think about the supply chains, uh, companies know how to do uh, human rights due diligence, or they at least uh, have systems set up. And when we started to also look at, okay, are there some high risk areas in companies own operations, what we soon realized was that there's some areas when it comes to outsource work or Operations like warehousing, logistics, uh, transportation, distribution centers, even retail, which are owned by companies and companies have not done, um, not started to look at what are the human rights issues in in, in their own operations. So almost, you know, when we talk about uh, own operations, it's it's like companies are asking suppliers um, 
they have expectations for suppliers and they're asking suppliers to ensure human rights in the supply chain, but it's now really testing companies of walking the talk, whereby where they own operations and are human rights um, conditions met in their own operations. So I think it's it's almost time where for a company to be seen credible when they're asking these requirements from their suppliers to have exactly the same standards in their own operations. So pretty much the own operations is really a company itself. It entities its own, the entities in which it holds majority of shares and the facility it manages. Um, in addition, what we also see in own operations is just not own employees, but also it covers contractors, subcontractors, or agencies that supply companies with labor force. So it really sounds like own operations is, is the areas that are really close to home for a business. And when you say that you know, companies should be employing HRDD in their own operations. It's about getting your own house in order because they're essentially asking, you know, their suppliers and upstream supply chain partners to do the same. And so they want to kind of be on the same page. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. So one is just, you know, as I said, walking the talk. And secondly, with all the regulatory requirements coming along, um, while it is about supply chains, it is as much as about um, the own operations. So yes, getting your own house in order is the thing to do. Great, and you've kind of mentioned that, you know, over the, pa over the past two decades, as you've mentioned, that you've seen companies taking, you know, an approach to HRDD in their supply chains, and they have that already kind of in motion. Um, and the HRC is following what we call a maturity journey framework for implementing and improving those HRDD systems. So, you know, over time, uh, a company will kind of develop their HRDD program so that they become more mature and more robust um, and more effective. Um, so within this maturity journey, can you describe what these different levels are between, in, in the language that we use, it's you go from launch to established to leadership. Can you explain what the difference is between, you know, a, a newly launched HRDD strategy versus a leadership HRDD strategy? Sure. Yes, it's uh, it's a good question, and 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 the beauty of this maturity framework is people should see it as a journey. It, you know, things cannot be achieved, especially in the human rights domain, from today to tomorrow. We can't achieve living wages. You know, um, mitigate all forced labor risks from today to tomorrow. So really. The idea of this maturity framework is that the companies are on a journey and they they have to start somewhere. So in order for for um, the human rights coalition members to measure progress and to and to make sure that they are on that journey, the three um, the three uh, maturity levels are defined. So the launched is when really a company has started to, uh, first of all, they have made a commitment uh, around forced labor globally. They've started to then map their global operations, which are own operations, 
They start to conduct risk assessment to look at, okay, which are the operations I want to prioritize, also the countries I want to prioritize. They start to onboard their headquarter level staff, also country level operations staff, and they really do a baseline assessment or a self-assessment to look at, okay, where am I in the, um, you know, in, in terms of the HRDD, but also what are the working conditions in the own operations and start to think of, okay, what am I going to do about it? So really culminating into an action plan. Now, these are the basic foundational elements of, um, of the launched process. So once a company have done all of this, that's where uh, they are launched. They're starting on that, on that journey. Then the second phase, which is more on the established level comes is building on that work on the launch. They start to now, um, within operations, within high risk operations, they also start to map the sites. They also start to look at what are the high risk sites and countries for them. They start to then further look into who are the workers working on these sites? Are these workers direct employees? Are these workers hired to third party workers? Are there service contracts, for example, for cleaning security, um, you know, uh, type of operations? Now, taking the training and capacity building from headquarters more into the country level and site level where the relevant country staff are now trained on HRDD, understanding forced labor, understanding how responsible recruitment can happen, what are their requirements from um, the recruitment agencies or third-party service contractors, and really then specific um, uh, corrective actions plans are really built for the operation sites at the country level. So this is where um, you know company, when they have gone from more foundational to more an operational level in the country, in the sites, is the established level. And leadership is really when a company has done this across all operations. So they have all the um, you know, operations completely mapped out. They know exactly the sites they're operating globally for all own operations. They know who are the workers, how many migrant workers they have, uh, you know, wh which are the high risk areas and really implementing the six steps of HRDD uh, as defined by CGF um, into all the operations globally. And this is where we start also to look look at companies on really developing systemic remediation to systemic issues where um, you know where they are collaborating with other peers other sectors to really think about how do they start you know addressing the issues which are more systemic in nature so this is where the leadership you know uh, this is what leadership means within the cgf framework of the maturity journey Thank you so much for that. I mean, it's definitely not an easy journey, but it's one that's, of course, very, very important and unnecessary. Um, but as you're explaining all of this, the one thing that I'm thinking about is, um, for example, starting in one area of own operations um, is going to present its own challenges, right? And then scaling that up to cover all of your operations, you know, for these multinational companies, that is a huge task. And we're looking at a very complex issue, um, as you say, that has systemic roots um, and, and challenges. So uh, in your experience, what have been some challenges that companies have faced when they're trying to you know, implement and improve their HRDD systems? Um, and how have they overcome them? What have been some key elements of success? Yeah. Um, so 
you know, when we think about operations and when we think about workers, often we think that it's a monolithic group, you know, they all look the same, they operate the same. But the biggest challenge is even one operation within a country could look different from the same operation operating in a different country. So if I if I take the example of, let's say, cleaning services, you know, maybe in, in one country, the cleaning is completely done by uh, in-house uh, in-house cleaners where it's not outsourced. But in many, many countries, what we see is that cleaning operations is it's completely outsourced to third parties, which are more professional in nature. And in some other country, we see that cleaning staff is done to a third party without even a contract in place. So again, you know, even the same service which is outsourced um, can present different challenges uh, in different countries. And because they operate in different countries, also the local legislation uh, and, you know, the requirements are, are different. So for example, because of the UK Modern Slavery Act, there are different requirements in the UK as compared to a developing country like Bangladesh or like Nepal, where, you know, the requirements are fewer. And so when the, one of the biggest challenges for companies to approach it is that um, they cannot have one size fit all. And how do you then imagine a, a process which accounts for these different supply chain, you know, or different models of business models, which you know, which account for different types of workers, different legislative requirements, different local cultural context is, is a challenge. Um, so the, the HRDD system has to set certain boundaries and say, these are the minimums, but then also have some flexibility to say, okay, if these are the countries, this is how we operate, this is the business model, that's how we are going to apply, uh, deploy it. So while HRDD is standard based, it the operation of it has to be nimble enough um, to be able to uh, address these, you know, uh, differences in, in, in both the worker group as well as the countries where companies operate. Um, that's the first challenge. The second challenge, I would say, when it comes to HRDD, deployment of HRDD system is the is sometimes the cascading mechanism. So while we have seen that the com company, you know, staff who are working at the headquarter level or come, you know, are very familiar with what HRDD means, what it means in term, in the context of their company. But then when you have to cascade it into your own operations to a site level uh, manager, to a factory level manager, there a lot of awareness building needs to happen. A lot of capacity building needs to happen within a company. So uh, those are two of the biggest challenges that we see, uh, you know, when it comes to the deployment of HRDD. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, and uh, I really love what you have to say about um, the, the process being flexible and adaptable to fit the different concerns that come up within um, you know, individual locales and different countries and different cultures. It's, that's definitely a key element that has to, absolutely has to be considered. Um, and so in all of that, in, in describing some of the challenges that have been faced and some of those key, um, key elements of success what advice would you have to share with companies as they're, you know, as they're on any part of this journey, whether it's launched, established, or leadership? What advice would you have to share with them about, um, you know, the importance of implementing these systems and addressing the issues of forced labor and all the issues that are attached to it as well? Um, but then again, 
you know, doing the doing the what might be complex and and complex and complicated work to root out and identify and then address uh, risks of forced labor. What advice do you have to share with companies on that journey? Yeah, my one advice is taking a worker centric approach. So that word for me sums up what we are trying to do and why we are trying to do it. The presence of a human rights due diligence system is for the workers. It's not for the companies. It's really to ensure that the workers have the right working conditions um, and they are fairly compensated. They have access to remedy, to grievance mechanism. That's the whole purpose of HRDD. Um, we want HRDD system so that this system can be scaled up so that more workers can be reached. So throughout the process, one of the most important things that companies can do is to consult with right holders, um, you know, whether in the design of the system, while they're designing the system, while they're deploying the grievance mechanisms, while they're, you know, even collecting information or providing remedy. And why it is important is what we have seen many times is companies take a very top-down approach while, and, and in the case of HRDD, you need both a top-down as well as a bottom-up approach and really a combination of those two approaches. While from the top, you can define standards, you can look at what systems a company can have in place, but in at the same time, consult with the right holders, consult with the workers to, to ask, does it make sense to them? So when a company deploys a grievance mechanism, does a hotline even work for the workers when they when they deploy an app, a mobile app? Do the workers even have a cell phone or not? Um, when you we talk about you know remediation of individual victims, you know uh, for example of forced labor, um, really to ask them you know what kind of case management or, or not just the workers but really the experts in the field. To, to say, okay, what kind of case management will make sense? So all that to say that I think whatever a company is doing, it is very important for them to have a worker-centric approach because that once they have consulted with workers, with right holders, with uh, organizations who are representing workers, then only their systems can be long-lasting and self-sustaining. Um, the other uh, thing that I also want to make sure that companies you know think about is more collaborative action um, and this is where you know when we talk about a forced labor issue forced labor doesn't happen in isolation it's a systemic issue it's an issue either because there's lack of livelihood the migration corridors the policies are not there um, and you know they're not enough safeguarding mechanism for the workers now a company in you know, alone cannot necessarily, they can absolutely address forced labor in their own, you know, operations, but they cannot achieve uh, impact at scale. And so let's say companies have to work with recruitment agencies, maybe they're only recruiting 50 workers from that recruitment agency, one company, but as a collective, they're recruiting 5,000 workers from that agency, and thereby they have a much bigger leverage to work with that recruitment agency. So uh, companies have to break those silos of working alone, but they also have to think about collective action. So a good healthy balance of uh, individual and collective approach together is very important. So worker-centric approach and approaches which look at both individual actions, but also collective actions is something that I think is critical to 
to achieving uh, impact at scale and success. Great words of wisdom. And that, that last note on the balance of individual and collective action is just exactly what we're working to achieve with the Human Rights Coalition working to enforce labor, you know, bringing together both the individual uh, strategies and, and efforts and actions of the member companies and then working under that, that big collective umbrella. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that message. Um, well, this has been a fantastic conversation and there's so much more that I want to ask you. So I'm going to consider this to be our launched episode in the maturity journey framework of a podcast series. And we're going to definitely have you back on as the HRC members continue to progress in their project on implementing and improving HRDD systems in their own operations. So Richa, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your insights. And like I said, we'll definitely love to have you back on the podcast very soon. Thanks, Madeline, for having me and happy to do this. Great. Thanks, thanks so much. Bye-bye. If you would like to find out more about the Consumer Goods Forum and our work on sustainability, you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to